Good Day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Pull String Press for this great studio. Hey, Patrick. Ah, good morning, Mike. Patrick, I have good news. I, I, I love, that's the best news that there is. Go ahead. That is only good news. Yeah. Um, I want to just a huge shout out to um, Gerhardt from Kalu and to Greg at Tolman and Weicker for going into their third year of supporting the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, they just renewed. Oh, well, yeah. fantastic. And we, we just um, <coughs> deeply appreciate the relationship we have with them. And, we couldn't do uh, it without them. We literally could not literally do, could not do the show. Yeah. And they continue to introduce us to amazing people that we get to have on the show. And today, not by via them, but via another good friend of ours, I would like you to meet George Ayub. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. This is um, this is a treat on like a, a ton of different levels, because um, I, we we went and had a cup of coffee uh, some months back, and a, a good mutual friend of ours who I know from improv uh, is was she was a student, a student of mine, yeah, student of yours. several years ago. Yeah, and Kimberly is going to listen to this, so Kimberly, a shout out to you. Um, you most recently, I think it's most recently, you were the dean at Brooks College of Photography. Is it the exact name? I just Brooks we all Institute call it Brooks. Of Photography. Yeah, Brooks. Yeah, and how long were you? So I was I was head of liberal arts there for about six, seven years um, before they closed. So in the last years. T- so we have listeners literally all over the world. Tell people what Brooks was. So Brooks was the premier school for photography in probably in the world for a long time. It was started by Ernie Brooks way back after World War II. He was an excellent photographer and he was he realized that in the aftermath of, of of World War that there were a lot of people who were needed training in skilled photography to do all the different types of commercial photography that we see around the, around us. Uh, and so Brooks became that place. People would come to Santa Barbara to go to Brooks Institute. Um, it, it, um, his son took it over, um, so Ernie Jr., right. and, then, and then the family sold it to a, another entity around 2000. It was like a corporate a corporation, that, yeah. a corporation that had a, a number of different career schools. Right. Um, and it, it grew and, and shrunk and finally became non-viable. The fun thing about having Brooks in Santa Barbara was um, you would run into Brookies, as they were called, uh, doing their assignments somewhere Mm -hmm. in town. And uh, I remember a guy, I'm uh, I'm walking, uh, I forget where I was walking, but he rides by on his bike and he does a double take and he looks at me and goes, oh, I have something for you. I was like, what? He stops, gets off his bike, pulls out his portfolio, <laughs> and hands me an eight by 10, black and white, of me standing in line at the Fire Sign Theater concert at the Arlington Theater in my full Fire Sign regalia. 
I, I was like, oh my God. Did he also hand you a, a, a model release? <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, we you, actually did train them about that. Yeah, you That's should right. sign right here so that I can actually use this photo. Yes, yeah. yes. It's, uh, so, so Brookie, yeah. that was a, such a huge and important institution. There it, were three campuses. Yeah, uh, it, it had grown to be quite a number of, of locations. Um, yeah, I actually had a similar experience. When uh. I first came to Santa Barbara 25 years ago to interview for a position up at Westmont College, um, I didn't know anything about Brooks at the time. Um, I, I became faculty at Westmont, but my, um, I stayed at a hotel by the beach, and I noticed there were some people on the beach with these big um, foil screens yeah, illuminating yeah, yeah, a subject yeah. who was lying on, you know, lying on the beach, and a model. Um, <laughs> I realized an af afterthought that that was my first introduction to Brooks. Right. <laughs> the students are everywhere, or were everywhere in town, taking images that later became the, the seeds for the, all the different images we see in you know, food magazines, everywhere, for example, or right? travel magazines, or, or weddings and such. Yeah. Well, I, I love when I find there's a dotted line for someone I'm talking to, to Brooks, because that's yeah. just, it was so wonderful in so many ways. I would go up to the shows, the student shows. Those were excellent, yeah. And it was, I think it was at one of those shows where I uh, developed, I was, ex it was explained to me that the photographer, what, it was all about capturing the light mm -hmm. in the scene. Yeah. It wasn't the thing, it was the light and how it reacted to things. And it's like, and it was just an interesting take. I yeah. mean, you, you had so many interesting conversations up there. Yeah. Now, so, so I was there even though I wasn't a photographer. Well, I mean, that's I'm exactly. I'm an amateur photographer. Right. <laughs> um, but all of us are now with our phones. Uh, I was there be because Brooks also awarded a, a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Right. And so while half the curriculum was all the stuff that students came for, all the photography, uh, the other half was really what you consider why you, most people go to college. It's learning critical thinking, learning verbal communication, oral communication, mathematical or you know numerical reasoning, all the, the kind of core competencies that we see in college. The same reason why you might go to UCSB or Santa Barbara City College. And so that was the, my bailiwick, to make sure that we taught that well, that it, you know, it met standards, and that the students were well prepared to go out in the world, not only with the skills that their hands had developed in using the different cameras, mm. but the skills that their mind had developed in how to think carefully, critically, creatively as the tools changed. Because mm -hmm. you know, while we can mm -hmm. obviously teach how to use this, the one specific camera, how to adjust the light, tomorrow the, the tool will be different, but the goal is still the same, mm. to create the mm. best. Patrick, I'm I'm curious as as someone who ha is teaches. Struggles with the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, yeah. No, exactly. I'm I'm curious. What's the what's the relationship like on the? I don't get to talk to faculty oh. that often. Between the the um, the person who's teaching the skill, the craft, the artist, and then the person who's teaching all these other skills, do you co-conspire co for their education? Sure, but correct correct me here if you're wrong. Uh, this always happens to me is that I am talking to like the liberal arts faculty, and I just want to talk about their subject, and they just want to talk about my subject. Oh, really? Yeah, and so we oh. end up having this this, this crossover moment of, of like, no, but I, I, I don't, because I don't think I fully understand the, uh, the philosophical ramifications of this particular, and they're like, no, 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 how, when you're drawing the bead in the weld, yeah. Like when, you're, when you strike the first arc on the weld, what do you? And I'm like, no, 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 that's not important. Let's, let's get to the, we need to talk philosophy. These kids need to know philosophy or, or, or English or just like, how, you know, why are they formatting their papers like this? What are we teaching them? So, yeah, yeah, I've always had 
a great affinity for, for education. Um, I think it was something that I was raised with. How's that? My, Tell me that. Oh, um, no, my, my, my parents were always keen on that your education is, is critical. It's essential. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, um, you know, in my family, I was the first gen- in my generation, well, first generation to go to college. Mm. Um, and so when I went to college, the assumption was I was going to college to learn a skill, mm. right, to get a good career. A trade. It was, a trade. It was a yeah. Trade. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I went to a, a, a regular college, not to a, a trade school or something. Um, but but that was the assumption. That was always how people were thinking about this. And that's that's still true for most first-generation students. They come to college in order to get a good job. There's an ROI that the parents are always talking Return about. Return on investment. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, yeah. What, what, if yeah. I'm going to put this money in, how's this kid going to move out of my basement? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that has been, because, partly because that was my situation, that's actually been part of my kind of modus as, as an educator. How do I help these students get a step ahead? How do they learn to, to, to be skilled people in society? And not only skilled with their hands, but skilled with their mind. Right. How can their mind right. be so well prepared that they can come up with the next idea and, and make it happen? So having that, uh, that concept, you were going to go to the first to go to uh, higher education in the family yeah. and to get a job. What got you to choose physics as a major? Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so in college, I was a physics major. In grad school, I was majored in neuroscience. Um, so I hadn't thought about this in a while. <laughs> but um, physics was because I thought it was challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been good with math and science. Uh, but I, I always thought that the two most core subjects, at least when I was in college, I thought the two most core subjects were physics and philosophy, mm. and so I minored in philosophy. Mm. Um, but, you know, and one one is sort of the the fundamentals of how things work, and why you know, what the rules are that govern that, and the other is the fundamentals of how who we are, really. And philosophy being sure, well, absolutely, why, absolutely. Why are we here? What what's this about? I mean, if you look at the ancient philosophers and all the way up to current, right? It's like, who are we? Um, and that's probably why. In grad school, I went to neuroscience because it was the mind. So it, it was the yeah. combination. It was using the tools of, from mm. physics to p- explore the questions from philosophy. Did you uh, Did you get any answers? Oh yeah, come up, come <laughs> up with the answers to it's, who we are. To, to quote Douglas Adams, it's forty-two. Oh, <laughs> so I, I I didn't get to write it down fast enough. You said the tools of physics using philosophy it was something oh, oh, I'm gonna, we're gonna go back to the tape because that was that <laughs> was uh, for the show notes we'll put that in the show that notes. was really really quite thank, quite good thank goodness we were recording did <laughs> you did you know that douglas adams uh lived his last five years here in town yeah. did he really yeah. i didn't i didn't know that we got huh. to hang out a lot oh, oh you're making me hugely jealous right i now. i am huge i'm jealous i'm so sad on a number of different levels but just personally because we had lunch once a month uh-huh. And it would be a three-hour lunch, and we'd l- wow. both look at our watch and go, "Okay, we have to go back to our other lives." Mm-hmm. Um, we got introduced at a party, and she didn't know who he was. That happens with authors, especially hugely important authors. Yeah, she goes, "Well, because they're invisible to us." Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's Mark. We this know is Douglas. Yeah. We're the same age, same height, and he goes, 
I said, yeah, I know who he is. <laughs> and, and, and he says, this is Mark Sylvester. Oh, I know who he is. Because he used our animation software after. I mean, he oh, did sure. games. He did a bunch of stuff. And we just, it was like we were brothers from another mother. It was, it was spectacular. But I want to get back to, I, 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 I love it when worlds seemingly collide, physics yeah. and philosophy. But that's as an outsider. So, to you, you, you blended them Perfectly. Yeah, and, and, and Mark, I'll, I'll probably, I'm going to harken back to my folks because I actually think that we, we in many ways, we, we are shaped to become who we are by our environment around us. Absolutely. And by, by, our, by our families, right, or, or the, whatever the unit is that we grow up in. And so, I mean, whether we grew up in a nuclear family or extended family or a community or whatever it might be, right? And, and in my family, you know, we always, both my parents are always – discussing things and talking about things and I think that's common in my family certainly and a lot of families but um but always trying to apply something so my dad probably was the smartest person that I've ever known mm. he in and, and smart in terms of not just mathematical and verbal reasoning or thinking or facility but um being able to see something and think about what it might mean and how it could be different right so um and that and that's a i guess i should call it a tool but um yeah that's a tool that i've always tried to apply for myself is to see things and how can it be better to see things as as potentials for something new that's uh, a trait you share with entrepreneurs yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, see. Yeah, it's actually why I was good at Brooks because we needed someone in academics. We often need someone with an entrepreneurial spirit who's able to say, "Well, we could try this," but we also need someone who we also need people who are skilled in either the trade or the liberal arts. You know, the the, the different skill sets. Um, having grown up with an entrepreneurial family and gone through academics, I kind of was able to bring to Brooks both of those skill sets to some set to some sense, and that allowed us to 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 think about well, how could it be instead of how is it and how has it always or how has it always been? Wait, wait say that again. That was that was you just glossed over that like a but that's gold. Not well, that's of, that's essentially entrepreneurial yeah. action, right? What you do is you look and think and think how could this be. And then, okay, how do we make that happen? But to get there is a much bigger thing than just, oh, well, what, what do you need to put together? It's to say, it's to be very observant. Hmm. And I think one of the challenges most of us face always is that when we listen in a conversation, we're listening more to find when we can talk mm -hmm. than to glean the information from the other parties. So I think one of the skills of the best entrepreneurs and the best academics is that they can listen. And they 100 percent the up. reason I go to improv twice a week. Interesting. If we don't listen, you're dead. Yeah. You're, oh. you're oh yeah yeah of course dead of course because the audience was listening. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, didn't you hear him say he just parked his cowboy hat at the dry cleaners and that's why he doesn't have a hat on uh no because uh, no, i wanted to talk to him about i love his dress yeah you know and 
listening is it, it's there and it's in meditation in terms of being very present being that's why i love about podcasting yeah is because we want to listen to find the the best questions or the follow-up questions yeah because if if you hear what the person's saying you, you'll like patrick just did what was yeah, that right right <laughs> you, you can hear what's going on in there and it triggers something for you that's why i enjoy teaching no, um, it's I, because of the listening part. Well, because you can see in someone's face, yeah. Uh, yeah. they hear uh. something, and and it starts to come together. And also because you can see in someone's face when they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And so then I then I take that as a better, a better, greater challenge that clearly I'm not approaching this in a way that works. So what do I do to make it work? Mm. Uh, Twenty years, and you're still challenging yourself in the classroom. Oh yeah. <laughs> every oh, every see? every class is new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The content might be exactly the same, but the presentation is different. Yeah. I, I, if I, what's it? Yeah, 20 years ago when I was teaching at Westmont College, the style I used is completely different from what I use today, but that's because students learn differently today than they did 20 years ago. 1974 and 75, I was the chef at Westmont. Really? Yes, I was. Wow. I ran the food service there. That was well before I got there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was well before yeah. I got to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I love Westmont. And uh, we have a, a friend of the show, John Davies, is on the President's Council there and is very, very involved. And that was a, a huge moment to be up there in that uh, yeah. an amazing, amazing place. What did you teach? Biology. You taught biology. So of course. Professor yeah. in chair of right. biology. Physics and psychology, go for a... And, and I also created the neuroscience program that they had there. Oh. But I also had an active research program. So I had What'd you research? NIH funding. I was studying vision, um, the visual system, oh. not, not visions like the ideas we might have. <laughs> which, yeah, we are in Santa Barbara, right? Yeah. Uh, visions, which, you know. What, and what I, what I did there, I, I, I developed ways of, of looking, of answering questions that we're new. And so um, Give me an one of the things I did way back in the 1990s, <laughs> as, I, as I tell my students like last Patrick's last age, who, yeah, yeah. back before you might have been born, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I um, developed a tool for looking at the release of a neurotransmitter coming out of cells in the retina. And we showed that, you know, we showed which neurotransmitter was being released and which, from which cells. But in the, one of the side benefits of that is we found out that um, under conditions that are like glaucoma, you know, glaucoma is this high-pressure condition of the eye where people gradually lose their vision from the periphery to the center. Right. So under conditions of glaucoma, it seems that a particular neurotransmitter is just dumped out on the cells that form the optic nerve, and that that neurotransmitter, it's called glutamate, um, that neurotransmitter, when it's on cells for a long time, it can kill the cells. It's it's actually the same thing that happens in a stroke. I would say eye mm. rust. Mm. Sounds like eye rust, like the rust on a on a, if rust lives on steel, it it'll eventually oh, destroy oh, oh. steel. I, oh, that's a good analogy. I like that. Thank you. I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So, so what we showed is that this rust <laughs> situation. Uh, we all get that now, right? Yeah. Yeah. This this situation occurs and, and glaucoma occurs because of the pressure in the probably because of the pressure in the eye is causing the, too much glutamate to come out, and it sits on the, what's called the retinal ganglion cells, the cells that form the optic nerve. Mm -hmm. And we know that f certain types of neurons 
including the, the ganglion cells, the optic nerve cells, um, respond to too much glutamate by basically shutting down. It actually kill, it does kill them. It, because of the cascade of, of events that kills them. We know that in stroke conditions, when someone has a blockage of oxygen to parts right, of their brain, right. um, the, the neurons don't die because of the lack of oxygen. They actually die, and I, I'm, simpl I'm simplifying a little, so they Please, do die because of lack okay, of oxygen. That's all right. they, they're dying because the ones that don't get the oxygen, their gradients all run down, and so they dump out all of their neurotransmitters. The ones that used glutamate as a neurotransmitter, now this glutamate acts on the next cells down mm. and kills them because mm. it's too high a level of glutamate. It's called the excitotoxic. It's, it excites them to toxicity, to death. How do you how do you deal with the glutamate, with the excess glutamate then? I just ask in, a real, probably well, a root Normally in our brains, yeah. this, our, our cells are alive and they're, as long as they keep getting oxygen, they keep making energy, and they recycle the glutamate. They just pull it your, back in. Your cells are phenomenal at recycling things. Yeah. So you you, you use something. So glutamate's an important signaling molecule. We, one, we one need quarter. it. We can't just eliminate it. Yeah, from our, yeah, and you couldn't eliminate it from your diet if you wanted to. Sure. It's in every protein. Okay. Um, but we we need it, of course. But um, it's it's an essential signaling molecule. It's the major excitatory signaling molecule in the brain. But it's also more ex more interestingly, I think, than being a common transmitter. It's also the, perhaps and we believe it's also the neurotransmitter that's involved in learning. Oh my! Right, because mm. this very yeah. same response of having a large response to glutamate, particularly, only happens on one type of glutamate receptor. It's called the NMDA receptor. And on that, on that particular receptor, when glutamate acts on it, it opens it up and it not only has an electrical signaling in the cell, but it also allows calcium to come into the cell. Calcium's, you know, like you, know, like you get in your milk. Um, it's an ion that, that has its secondary effects inside the cell. And one of those secondary effects is it causes more neurotransmitter and more receptors to be made. So it increases the size of the communication. Which is good. This is great. Yeah. So we know from studies that have been done for decades that if you d repetitively stimulate a particular cell, that it will cause this calcium influx due to glutamate, um, which will actually increase the size of the synapse. So then each stimulus going across gives a larger response. And this, this um, Eric Kendall got a Nobel Prize for this a couple decades ago, right? This is a, a basis for how we learn. So, so very rudimentary in case I've misunderstood this. Does that mean an increase in calcium in the body? Mm -mm. No, that's got nothing to do with it. That wouldn't, so that's not like, yeah. oh, have school kids drink milk and they'll learn better. That's not, no, that, that's that, irrelevant. And just like changing the amount of glutamate or calcium you take in is, is not gonna affect you. But in, somewhere- Unless you get to really, really, really low levels. Sure. But it's pretty hard to get to that. But if we could figure out how to manipulate inside of, to, to, to create a better- Yeah, this, well, I mean, for, for a couple of decades, I've been aware of, of different drugs that people have tried to develop that might liberate a little bit more calcium or, you know, stimulate those particular receptors a little bit more, right? Um, just like there are also drugs that block those receptors because if, if you have a stroke condition, you want to block those receptors so you don't kill the cells. Right. Give the brain time to recover, get blood flow back in the area. 
if you want have a learning situation like Patrick's talking about, maybe you want to increase it just a little bit. Yeah, that's so you why can I want to learn, learn better. Yeah, I, we actually in my lab we we did a test of a one of the one of these nootropic drugs back in the '90s because we were really curious: will we have a faster response? Um, and it turned out the, the we tested on uh, mice in a maze, right? And and they they did learn a little bit faster, um, but they died younger. Huh. Hmm. There's a trade-off. There was a trade-off. Huh. Yeah, and probably what's going on is if we're increasing this glutamate on these NMDA receptors, right, on this on these particular receptors, um, since we know that that's also what causes a stroke, maybe we push them a little bit further towards a stroke-like condition. That's a conjecture. I don't know. Yeah. But um, but what what it t- reminds me, and I've seen over and over, is that we live in life in a balance. Yeah. Between sure. too much yeah. of one thing is bad one way. But too much the other way pushes us in a different direction. So like in this glutamate situation, too much glutamate can kill the cells, but too little, right? And you won't learn. <laughs> so I want to get more scientists on the show. I enjoy sure. it. I <laughs> <guess>. <laughs> we should just start a new podcast of yeah. just, just, just like artists talking to scientists. That'll be the name of the podcast. Because I feel like I, I, I'm, so, I'm so inspired that many of your students had access to you and had access to this level of conversation around just 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 one you know component of like let's just talk about learning and like let's yeah. talk about the chemical reaction inside of your brain to that yeah and that's not something that with it i i don't right. feel like that's the the for you know i don't feel like that's a high school education that i received uh you know what i mean yeah. like i feel yeah, like yeah, i didn't yeah, have yeah, that yeah. in college i didn't have it in high school i didn't have that you know sixth grade they didn't talk to me about my learning through yeah. neurons yeah see well, I, I just find this stuff fascinating mm. and I, I happen to have done research in it like a, like the glaucoma stuff but it's also stimulated a lot of conversations. And one of the things, and this, this is what we talked about earlier, one of the things is listening. And when I have a conversation with someone, and I've had a lot of conversations that have been kind of out there, one might say, um, that some of my science colleagues might just say, I just, I just steer away from those conversations. I often continue in them mm-hmm. because I'm curious to understand the reasoning that's going on and what someone's thinking about. So, for example, in um, this glaucoma issue. We, so we saw that glaucoma causes potential toxicity done to the optic nerve cells. Well, so my, my first question is, how do we stop that from killing yeah. the cells? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, you know, mostly what we try and do in, in science is we try to characterize things really carefully and document it. So I have the tech tools of careful characterization, Scientific develop method. the skill sets to look at it, but I also have this entrepreneurial bent. Right. Well, how do, <laughs> how do we use a problem to make a solution? And, and you also have deep roots in philosophy, so you're going to be asking those higher yeah. level questions anyway. So that's yeah. why, um, that's, I, I think that's why Kimberly thought we would um, get along <laughs> well, yeah. uh, because there's, you're neither left nor right brain, you're living right in the middle of that, so right? Dexterous, uh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, no. Ex- I am exactly that same guy. Tell me about. Um, I I have a little bird who's giving me some interesting questions in my head here. <laughs> you wrote a cookbook of yeah. your of recipes from your mother. Yeah. Well, how did that start? That's that was a labor of love. But um, all writing is labor of love. It feels <laughs> like. Yeah. All all writing. So I've written four books so far. I'm working on one right now. Another one. Um, my, um, th- this this has a longer arc to it than just telling you about the cookbook. Do you want me to? May I lead into sure, it? Sure, please. Because there's actually a trajectory. 
and I can start with the, the glaucoma. The glaucoma actually f facilitated conversations with people. I found out maybe the w one way of trying to approach this isn't to stimulate those receptors, but maybe to block the effect. M in other words, not to stimulate or inhibit the receptors somehow, but to block the effect of, of killing the, the optic nerve cells. Get to it first. Get to it before the, the, the nerve yeah, cells Yeah, so because so normally, and I'm going to finish the glaucoma story a little. I just realized this will be helpful. Normally, if you have something that causes, that's important for, for seeing, right, you're sending the signals on, but that same thing uh, can kill the cells, we say, well, how do I block this, this signal from getting through. But if I block the signal, then someone doesn't see. So it doesn't reason. solve a problem. Right. Um, but what if we block the mechanism of the death of the cell? Okay. So making know. the cell more robust. Yeah. So um, I had been developing contacts with, with, with potential collaborators who were interested in, in herbal medicines. And I thought, you know, a lot of the medicines that we have had for, cent for decades almost a century, like aspirin um, or, or, or our foxglove, right? Um, we came from some plant. Sure. And so I tested a, a slew of different plants, um, found some that actually reduced the damage to the cells, protected those, those optic nerve cells under glaucoma-like conditions. Without blocking the... And without making the animal go blind. Right. Yeah in the process. So it stopped the cells from dying, but it didn't stop the signaling. Yep. So it somehow, you know, if, if you've got a cascade of events, it just interrupted the cascade. Um, there was one in particular that, that was very effective. It, um, and the, the, it was an extract from, from marijuana. Hmm. And, you know, people have, have talked, talked about, about this. Yeah, yeah and, and people have talked about it, but the studies had shown that marijuana only reduces the pressure in the eye for a couple of hours. Yeah. And so in science, we were saying, well, it's, it's clearly uh, something that people feel like is helping, but Might not it, have a it's not, probably not making a difference unless you're smoking all day long, right? So that, that's what the, where the, the field was. But we showed that, in fact, we didn't care about whether it changed the pressure. In other words, we didn't care about whether it stopped the signal of going on, uh, but we cared about whether it blocked this cascade of death. And it turns out it does. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we tested it out. We actually, in some ways, stumbled on a problem, with, which was that, that the compounds available pharmaceutically to activate this didn't work. It actually required not only an extract from the marijuana plant, but it had required a particular preparation. Mm. So I'd worked with a, a chemist, a biochemist, who was doing an extract, and they, you know, they, they did it in a particular way, and that worked wonderfully well, but the carefully cleaned up versions didn't work. Mm -hmm. So this is fascinating. I, I'm actually talking with some people about whether we can pursue it now with the, you know, the, the climate uh, yeah, from yeah, our exactly. Yeah. You know, making it possibly as, as, a, as a treatment. Now how does this lead to a cookbook? So because of that kind of work, I ended up having conversations with a lot of people that had ideas that they wanted to see if I thought what I thought of them. One of them, um, He's now passed away. Roy Mankiewicz was an inventor. He invented mm. he, here in Patrick, town. Yeah, you know Roy, or did mm -mm. knew Roy. Um, you would have liked him as well. But Roy Patrick won't know this because it was, he invented something that only Mark and I have used. You remember on the old VHS recorders, if you wanted to record <laughs> a show, 
you'd punch in a code that was in the, the paper guide about when the TV show was running. Yep. That's Roy's invention. Huh. That code, every time you punched it in, he got a penny. That's amazing. Wow. So, so, wow. The, so the, 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 so the broadcast he, signal would send out a, yeah. uh, a, a, time, a stamp, essentially, yeah. on yeah. the front of the, man, yeah. pre, pre-internet. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, this is before yeah. the internet. Yeah. Anyway, so, so he, he liked to invent things. He, he had a variety of different ideas. And so he had heard about me. We met. We, we got along well. And he kind of ran a bunch of his ideas past me. And I told him what I thought. Because, you know, if someone wants to know my, my opinion, I'll, I'm glad to give my opinion. And so when I, when I hear an idea, I usually look at, well, what data support this? Hmm. What kind, how Your can science we... kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> well, because otherwise it's just an idea that, you know, wearing a tinfoil hat will stop radiation from yep. hitting me. Yep. Well, what data Maybe. supports that? None. Actually, no data support it. Yeah. It's not true, yeah. right? So, so the tinfoil hat doesn't work. But one of Roy's ideas, I thought, you know, that's interesting. There's nothing that would disprove that, and there's some evidence that might support it. And I thought of a way we could actually test it out. The idea w- was that um, something in berries, like blueberries, inhibit cancer, kills cancer. Mm-hmm. And so we tested it out in a, a lab group I was working with at UCSB, a, a cancer group group, we tested um, blueberries. And it turns out an extract of blueberries kills cancer cells. The same group was, has done the work that shows that cruciferous vegetables have yep. a compound that yep. kill cancer. It's, it's called, that compound's called sulforaphane. The compound in uh, the blueberries is, um, is the color-containing compounds, hmm. the anthocyanins. We so the anthocyanins are toxic for cancer. But can those compounds make it through the, the gut, the biology yeah. of the gut? Is the trick, or it yeah. does? They survive. Yeah, huh. they're antioxidants. Okay. They get through. So, st- stay so, on the cancer. So, I wrote a book about the cancer. You did. Yeah. So, realizing that my art students, yeah, cared about being alive. Yeah, they're, but, <laughs> they're humans. Yeah. But they didn't care too much about the science. I learned in teaching Brooks students that how to convey the information in a way that that was understandable mm. and made sense and could, they could apply. They could attach themselves yeah. to. Yeah. And so I had three things that I would teach them. I would give a, you know, a, a three-hour talk about cancer. Yeah. Tell them about the incidence of cancer, how likelihood of getting it. You know, and when they hear that, oh, yeah, in, in society, we know from the data that there's a 50-50 chance that a man will get cancer sometime in his lifetime in the United States. There's a 33% chance that a woman will get cancer somewhere in her body in the United States. So we know the odds are really high. That's very high. If I tell you, go to the casino, there's a 50-50 chance you'll win, you'll say, that sounds really good. Sign me up. Right. But if I tell you for cancer, you say, oh, don't sign me up. (laughs) So so what I also, we also know that there's three things you can do that reduce your chances of getting cancer. And they are? The first thing is don't smoke. (laughs) So, I love that it's a binary thing. It's not, it's not a... the, the second so thing. So it's an ex smoke. I quit in '91. Great. So, I'm I'm saying. And, Ever. And, ah, see, this is the question that always comes up, because the second thing I'll, I'll answer your question. The second thing is have a healthy diet, and the third thing is get exercise, yeah. or be active. Yeah. Now, um, those three things. I used to I give talks frequently to the um, fundraisers for the American Cancer Society about this, and you know. If you, if you say this Pretty three simple. things, you hold up your hand three, people can remember th- 
three things, especially yep. if it means life or death. Yes. Does right. that can you equate that to saying like those three things in your life will take you out of the fifty fifty category and put you? Oh, in we a, know that they do. Yeah. Oh. It puts you in a this different. For different. example, in studies that looked at, at people with healthy diet and <laughs> a non healthy diet, mm-hmm. and uh, I, we can define that. Basically, they they double their risk with a non healthy diet. You half you have half the risk of death, or half the risk of cancer with a healthy diet. It's so roughly fifty of, of one changing your risk by one half. So if you're in the if you're potentially in the yeah, it drops you down. In the fifty you go into the twenty five. Yeah, though that's not how probability works, but yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I'm you're, not you're, the scientist. You're going in the right direction. Here. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say so, those three things are great. Yeah. I, 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 lo- I love that. Um, so so it's I, I usually use the example you're going to the casino and I tell you that you can double your odds at the table by eating carrots. You'll eat carrots. Right. Uh, sure. Your, your odds might have been whatever, but yeah. so and it's not exactly fifty percent, but yeah, so. something like that. Yeah, um, I tend to remember things in approximations. It's easier to visualize. You can actually use those in in, in discussion <laughs> yeah. rather than yeah, yeah. It was something in the range. Yeah, if it's forty-seven point three, well, okay, that's yeah. fifty. So then, does the cookbook with your mom equate to this knowledge okay. about Here. food and this so, interest so, in cancer? Yeah. And so health? the first. First book I wrote was about cancer, and it's very brief. It's like sixty pages, but it explains what cancer is, explains what, why we get cancer, what what's going on, and explains why foods can cause can increase the risk of cancer and why they can decrease it. Because what I'm trying to present is what is it about food that's increasing or decreasing your risk of cancer. It's not that eating barbecue every day will kill you. It might. It will increase your risk. I won't guarantee you, um, but but we know why, right? It's the animal fat and it's the burnt stuff. Mm-hmm. They are inflammatory, and they trigger mutations of cells. If you were already had, if you were in the one half of that fifty, and you that it's going to trigger that even more. That's going to yeah push you along. Yeah, we also know that just eating arugula every day is not going to save you if you're already in even, the fifty percent. Right. It's yeah. Yeah, but. No, if, if you eat salad every day, yeah, there's more antioxidants and, st- and more fiber. We know fiber helps move stuff through your body so it doesn't cause inflammation as long. That's mm-hmm. why people with a high plant-based diet really don't get colon cancer so much as people with a meat diet. Mm-hmm. Right? Stuff is not moving mm-hmm. through this, the colon so much. <laughs> right? So these are the ways I, I would explain things to my Brooks students and how I try to explain in the book. That book... Um, so you I, had a cancer book. You so had a, a cancer book. You wrote and a then fiction. so the, cook, the cookbook was because my mom passed away. Mm. So at her, this was Thanksgiving, um, a year and a half ago, um, and at her at her funeral, my my niece, so her granddaughter and I both spoke. And after the after the funeral, I was I was chatting with my niece, and she was saying how she really enjoyed cooking with her grandmother, and, uh, and she wished that she had the recipes. And I said. I'm born in Boston. I've lived in California for 25 years. I have all the recipes because I would talk, I would go back there a couple decades ago and work with my mom through the, the recipes to make sure I knew how to make the different family foods. What? Tell me, tell me what her. It's Mediterranean food. Yeah. Uh, and so of, of that, which. And so, and my what, mom lived a long life. And, and every, which all, we hear all a her lot siblings, about Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Right? And all of her siblings lived to be over 90. Wow. The, the, person who died at the youngest age died at 91, right? So it's 90 to 100. How old was your mom? 100. Oh, wow. 
99 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we, but we use the big numbers. Yeah. And so I thought, well, and so what I did is, after, so I said it to my niece after the funeral, I said, you know, I, I've got all the recipes. Mom's birthday would have been in the spring. I'm going to put them together mm. and make sure that you have a cookbook. So I made a cookbook. It's called, and I named it for my mom because the title, the the letters of the title are, it's Mediterranean Ordinary Meals, M-O-M. Oh, I love that. Um, and I, I will tell you, I, I had one of my mom's paper cookbooks, all of her notes and little cards in there. Um, but also all the recipes I'd written down. And I, I will tell you that sitting at the computer writing them was, I, my, I was just oh, crying. Oh, that was, constantly. I bet. Yeah. 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 We need water printed uh, computer keyboards. <laughs> Waterproof, yeah. Waterproof, thank yeah, you. Yeah. So that, that cookbook was because of, of my mom and my niece. But uh, what I wanted to do is put down in a different fashion how, what kinds of diets you can make. And in each, whether my cancer book or this cookbook, my, my goals have been to help people know how to live healthy, right? What, what can we do? And both of the really, both are really health books. Huh. So when you say don't smoke, is there a food? We you talked about <laughs> no, no. I'm going to get back to the food oh, part because yeah, I'm a, I'm a chef, so and I care yeah. about food, and I I actually do. I get pulled in to cook for sick people, and oh, um, okay. and I do it through soup. And yeah, uh, so I'm great. I'm curious, is there? If we say don't smoke. That's is there a food that you would say we just. Just stay away from that one. Like blueberries, are by, I, I love the fact that blueberries all, all, are all around. Is all there, berries, all berries are great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, what should we stay away from? Is it the usual suspects? I mean, is wheat as bad as they say? Is sugar as bad as they say? I don't think. Uh, I have a different theory about the wheat issue, um, unless you actually have a real allergy to it. But um, sugar probably is as bad as they say. Hmm. Um, in and in all forms, or just processed uh, sugar. I know this is tough because right now I'm it's I'm, sugar. It's, it, okay, thank you. So I have zero tolerance I, for I, sugar. I just love sugar. I love fruit. Yes, there's lots of sugar and fruit. I still eat a lot of fruit. It's still sugar. It's still Got sugar, it. right? Got it. Because when it comes, okay, here's where my physics comes in, right? Yep. And yep. this is not this is physiology, not physics. But when it enters your body, it enters as fructose or sucrose or yep. you know, fructose from fruit, sucrose from the table sugar. Um, but your body still uses it the same way, mm-hmm. right? It gets into your blood as blood sugar, <laughs> blood glucose, right? And it's blood glucose that we, we regulate, you know, the, the blood sugar level that and diabetics are always monitoring. Um, and that's what we regulate. And that when we have too much of it all the time, just like if you eat a, a bunch of candy bars, you might feel a, a buzz, right? You know, your blood sugar level is high. Right. Or sometime if you haven't had anything to eat in a while, you might feel kind of, kind of dizzy almost. Right. No, because your blood sugar level is a little low. Your body's regulating blood sugar. If you overstimulate it all the time, your sugar is going to stimulate growth. So I'm thinking about our audience member now who is, um, they're entrepreneurial, they run startups, they're all different ages, but it's like they need as much mental and physical energy as they can get because they're out changing the world, yeah. right? And running their businesses yeah. and doing those things. Uh, how do you, uh, it, it, is there a, a kind of diet that we can be on that that regulates that energy kind of throughout the day so we sure. don't have those? And what, what, I mean, a well, sim- again, keep it simple for me, Professor. Oh, right? come on. <laughs> so, Mark, I, I also want to make sure that I don't let you think that sugar is the culprit because it's not the only culprit. 
Okay. It's a, it's a whole diet thing. And this is where I, I know people's eyes often gloss over when I try and say, here's the whole picture, not the one picture. This is that silver, the anti-silver bullet conversation. It's the anti-silver yeah. bullet conversation. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, this isn't going to be easy. It's not going to fix well, it with it, one gesture. It's actually easy. Oh. All right. The explanation is easy. The explanation is understand what the foods do and why you need them. Mm. And this gets actually to the wheat and gluten issue as well. To understand that, think about your body. Now, I just be aware of your own body. When you eat certain things, your body responds in certain ways. Yeah, it does. You know, like, for example, I love ice cream. But when I eat ice cream, I know I'm going to have to have a response, right? A bathroom response, right? And, and that's because I'm lactose intolerant. Mm. Okay. Well, I love ice cream still. So I eat ice cream knowing that there's a price to pay after that, where I feel not so great. But enjoy it. So... So there's a price to pay, right? Um, I, I enjoy barbecue, but I'm careful not to eat much of it because we know that two of the things on the naughty list in terms of foods are beef and burnt things. Hmm. And you know, barbecue is basically burned beef. Mm-hmm. Right? right? The outside sure. is at its well, best. Yeah. When it's at its yeah. best. Yeah. When it's yeah. at its best, yeah. it yeah. is real good. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but we know those, and the reasons that those are bad is they both stimulate inflammation. That inflammation. So basically, what you've got is the inflammation inside your body is like someone scratching at the same place on their arm. The sugar then is stimulating the growth because sugar provides the energy for cells to grow. So if you're scratching and allowing things to grow, what do you get? You get a callus. You get a growth of something. And that's cancer. And that's cancer. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was just showing you. But, but, you're, but yes. you're right. You're right. See, that's – well, it, is, it isn't necessarily cancer. Sure. We sure. know that with cancer, you have to have about five or six mutations. Mm. So, But if you keep scratching the same place, you're going to get a muta- – you're likely to get a mutation. If you keep scratching it and the cells are growing, you might get another one and another one. And then you get pre-cancer and then eventually cancer. I've never had cancer explained that way. No, not at all. My book's available at Chaucer's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's where we should buy it. It's yes. A local book for there. Yeah, they, they've been wonderful. So. Yeah. It's also available in the City College Library. Mm. So if you yeah. want a, a free read. <laughs> so you're, you're a relatively young professor. You've got another 20 years of teaching. What, what do you want to go spend the next 20 years working on? That's a good question. Um, I actually was recently talking with someone about, about the glaucoma stuff. Um, consulting with a college friend of mine has a company back east they have just one product but um it, it he's i've been talking with him about it because the product looks at um it, it's looking at a marker potential marker for some types of autism mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. autism we know is a collection sure. of diseases yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. that affect communication skills and such and this particular marker they found out that that there's um well, they, they just have a blood test, and the blood test is to look for antibodies that the body has made for folate receptors in the brain. And, you know, folate's a B vitamin that, pre, um, like, pregnant women always take a, a yep. prenatal vitamin that includes folate because folate's necessary for brain development. Well, in children, there's been a, at least a couple clinical trials now. In children with autism, 
about 60% of them have antibodies for the folate receptor. And that folate receptor is how the folate gets into the brain. So wait, so brain too much, too little. What are they? They're so not, an, not receiving? So they have an antibody for the receptor, which means that the antibody is blocking the receptor right. so folate can't get in. Okay. Right. Mm, there's yeah. a, there's so a, it's like the door is... a bouncer the, at the door. Right. There's yeah. a bouncer at the door. Perfect yeah. analogy. So the bouncer is keeping pe the folate from getting into the brain. Now, we know that in the general population of kids, it's like 10% have that that antibody. Sure. So it's not that and only 60% only or 65% have the antibody for autism. So it's not like a yes, no. It's not a guarantee that it's It's not a guarantee either right. way. Right. But of the ones that have this antibody, the clinical trials have looked at what if we give them a different version of that vitamin? Huh. There's like a couple different versions you could use. One of them, there's a prescription for... It's used in a cancer treatment. Another one, it's just an over-the-counter. Um, and then the clinical trial, the, the, of the kids that have the antibody, right, the kids that aren't presumably getting fo folate, um, the, if you give them a different version of folate that can get around and into the brain, they had improvement in their communication skills. Uh, about two-thirds of them did. But still. Still, it's, it's better than... <laughs> If two of them did, yes. if you had a thousand and two of them well, had improvement, that would be wonderful. Well, the, the methods we, we use now for, for treating autism, you know, five percent improve, having proven in five percent of the populations looked at as good. Yeah, ten percent is phenomenal. Oh, it's yeah, right? revolutionary. Yeah. So having fifty percent is unbelievable. No, yeah. So yeah. I've been consulting with him and, and trying to find ways that we can promote this, you know, because you know, as a parent, I would if I knew that there were tests to check my kids or something. You give know, it a shot. I'd, I'd give it a test. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. If it just means giving them an extra in, uh, vitamin every day. That might actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm interested in continuing to promote ways of improving life. Like health. I, you know, I actually do have another health book out. My, um, four books, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said earlier. When you start to lose count, you're doing well. You're doing oh, yeah. Well. So my, my health book came out last fall. It's the newest book. And it... Um, a, a, a colleague of mine in China asked me to put put together a book, my my, my research mentor, because he thought that I wrote the cancer book really well, and he thought, well, do this for everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heart disease, diabetes, everything. Sure. So I, I wrote a general book about health. It's also at Chaucer's. Um, it's called All the World's Your Stage. Okay. So um, that book is, is again, it's short because I, I've learned in teaching students don't read long textbooks. Yeah. And well, it'll make no, a longer nice than a tweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, George, and, and my fourth book is, is a novel that I wrote, Stuart, called Stuart. Yeah. So, as the um, he's a fan, also, also at Chaucer's. Yes. <laughs> as, yeah, we love Chaucer's. It's the only bookstore left. Um, I know. George, um, you know what happened? Fifty minutes elapsed. Boom! Just like oh. that. We having this great I conversation. Finished what the next Twenty years is well. <laughs> uh, well, I know it's you're going to be in the lab, and I know you're going to be in front of students somehow. I'm thrilled that you're attacking. Uh, you're looking at autism because I have friends on the spectrum. Uh, we had a guy in here, Tim Goldstein, who is one of the yeah the neurodiversity and mm -hmm. uh, neurotypical. Typical. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is he. 
I have been working with him on the side to, to mm. he goes in and consults with HR departments and large tech firms to find that, you know, 60% of the, their but workforce the tech, is, yeah. is, you know, on the spectrum. Yeah, and so I'm thrilled. We probably wouldn't have social media without the autistic people in tech. Right. See, there you go. <laughs> well, there you I go. Like, I like saying it like that. Well, they're, yeah. making, <laughs> they're making a tool that makes communication work for them. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. And it works for us, too. Yeah. Yeah. For all of no, us. No, see. They just waited to Neurodiverse the very end and neurotypical. for that. Yeah. George, thank you so much for being on the show yeah. and, and having this great conversation with us. Um, how do people, if they want to find you, where where do they find you? Uh, you Take have a website? Or or email me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll put something in the show notes because we don't want you to be uh, bomb, uh, bombarded with people. But um, one of the things we do at the very end of the show is we um, we figure out if we were to um, take, which we are doing, take this conversation and put a bow on it, <laughs> right? And put it up on the shelf so other people would um, be able to pull it down off the shelf. That looks interesting. What title would we give this conversation? My focus has always been on listening, being inclusive, and thinking. I've learned that inclusion is very valuable, that people think, people from different experiences think about things differently, just like the neurotypical and the neurodiverse, you know, the social media stuff that we developed. Um, my lab group, I always had people from as many different backgrounds as possible um, because I think that that is an essential aspect of making the next steps. And I love and how you did that in three everything here has been in threes and with that george thank you so much thank i you. really appreciate My it pleasure. i also want to uh, thank california lutheran university school of management and tolman and weicker you guys we love you thank you again for for stepping up and letting us do this for our it, going patrick going into our fourth year yeah we are yeah we are we're doing that and pull string press great place to do a podcast if you're interested in podcasting or you want to do your own show it is the cool thing now that kids are talking about the parties patrick katie kirk has a podcast mark katie kirk <laughs> not just, not here just letting you know <laughs> that, that that is where we are at that that the you know for, former uh lead anchor of the CBS Evening News has turned to podcasting <laughs> to get a better audience. See, that's how it works. So if you're interested in that, give us a give us a shout at podcast at 805connect.com. Patrick, how could our listener who's stayed with us now? We are over time, Mark, and they can just uh, help us by listening to next week's show. I love it. So I'd love to hear from you. With, if you have any questions for a guest for an upcoming show, drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. And thank you so much. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.